to Drinking Bros, presented by StrikeForceEnergy.com. Put down the water and grab a fucking drink. It's time to talk business. Jared Taylor, Matt Best, and Evan Hafer proudly present Blackhearted. Sponsored by Black Rifle Coffee Company and Arson Wave. Well, 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 today it's just me and the Matt Best because Mr. Evan Haver is having a baby. Literally right now having a this baby. second. His He's babying. His, he was uh, recording an interview and his wife is like, I'm in, going into labor. You should probably get home. And he's like, but I got one more question to answer. <laughs> Segway Sally over here. Speaking of babies, Speaking we have babies. the big bald baby in the studio with us today. Baker, Baker Levitt. Hello, Hello Baker. everybody. Which Hello. we know you guys all love because he asked the best questions. And it's one of my we, highlights of my friendship with y'all being able to sit in and fill in on this podcast. Aww. Aww. Well, we had an amazing human on Drinking Bros, yes. and we couldn't get enough of him. We so could, Mr. Dale Dye is back. Captain, um, on Captain Dale Dye. Right yes. here at the Black Coffee Rifle Company. Yeah. I like yeah. that I like because it's a rifle company. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a huge fan of that name. Yeah. It's that needs to be a shirt itself that's with the with the with the map symbol of a rifle company. Right? Just that he just he just, he, made, he just made a shirt. I like it. That's We're the good, second I shirt. Yeah. I like the seeing the elephant hear the owl. Yeah. I really want to run yeah. with that one. Uh, Strike Force Energy is the best best energy drink on the planet. Big fan of Strike Force. It's a tasty, tiny little tin pouch. You just rip it open, and it goes in every single liquid available. And uh, uh, it'll keep you well past, I would say, five hours. Uh, like I would say it's a seven-hour energy. Um, just put a little boom, boom in there, a couple <laughs> squirts. Get yourself a 750-milliliter bottle. We all have the subscription of the month. It's cheap as fuck, and uh, it's great for pre-workout and all that stuff. Go to StrikeForceEnergy.com. Type in the promo code REVOLUTION. You get 20% off. Next up, I'm talking about GhostBed.com. GhostBed.com, boy, that is the finest fucking sleep you will ever have in your entire life. Adult or baby. That's a fun fact. Adult or baby. It is the best sleep you will ever have in your entire life. We all have them. Go to ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros uh, or just type in the promo code drinking bros. You get $50 off a bed and you get three free pillows. Everybody who's got a goddamn ghost bed says the same thing. Jesus Christ. This is like the the most comfortable bed of all time. Uh, It is. It's so much. In fact, even Matt's brother uh, used the the, the promo code uh, drinking bros and bought a fucking bed after he stayed at Matt's house last week. Um. Go to ghostbed.com. Grab yourself a mattress. Uh, They also have a pay-as-you-go plan uh, in case you look at it and you're like, fuck, man. Mattresses are are a little expensive. They are. A tad. Uh, But use the promo code. And they also have a payment plan. You can pay as you go. Um, It's it's a great, great thing. Next up, we got grenadesoap.com. Grenadesoap.com. They've got soap that's made with real gunpowder. I'm talking real honest-to-goodness gunpowder. Uh, soap on a rope. They got tactical toothbrushes. They are OD green and combat clean. Uh, they've also got some dop kits and some other cool shit there. Um, big, big fan of grenade soap.com. 
Use the promo code DRINKINGBROS. You get 20% off. Uh, next up, we got, you, you know we got Warfighter Tobacco up in this motherfucker. Uh, Warfighter Tobacco. If you're, if you're on your way to Sturgis this week, by the way, uh, Warfighter Tobacco, the whole crew will be there. Uh, along with Matt and, uh, and all of those guys. Uh, they'll all be in Sturgis. Um, look for Scott Jansen. Look for the Warfighter Tobacco t-shirts. Look for their tent. Look for their gear. Uh, you'll, you'll see them out in full force. And look, those guys, this is no shit, too. If you're sitting down with the Warfighter Tobacco guys, you're, you're going to be sitting with them for a couple hours. Smoking some cigars. Eating their fucking combos. Uh, last, last meetup we had... The event that we that I saw them at, I ended up eating all their combos with them, and I'm hanging out with them for just like two hours, just drinking, getting fucked up. Uh, the Warfighter Tobacco guys are amazing. Uh, please go support Scott Jansen and the boys. Uh, Rocco is a co-owner of the company, um, so head on. You know, if you're out to Sturgis, say hello, say what's up to them, have a cigar with them. In the meantime, go to their website, WarfighterTobacco.com, for some of the finest hand-rolled cigars you will ever have. Uh, smoke them all. You got them. If you don't got them, go and get them and smoke them. Uh, WarfighterTobacco.com. Use the promo code DRINKINGBROS for 10% off all your purchases. Not only do they have amazing cigars and personalized Drinking Bros ones, but they've also got dope-ass t-shirts and humidors. Uh, huge fan of their company. Go to WarfighterTobacco.com. Promo code DRINKINGBROS for 10% off. I love that a lot. Well, thank you for uh, coming back and jumping on uh, Black Hearted. You're welcome, man. Glad to be here. Heck yeah. What do you want to talk about today, JT? Okay, so, you know, we got into it a little bit yesterday um, on Drinking Rose, but, the, you know, as you know, in Black Hearted, we're going to go We're gonna go to the business sense. You know, Dale has an amazing story about when he showed up uh, to Hollywood in 1985, and I just want to pick up right there. You, you were a master sergeant in the Marine Corps. You became a Mustang. You went to OCS. You 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 became a warrant officer, and then and then got your degree and was commissioned as a first lieutenant, made the rank of captain, captain, and then uh, retired. Yeah, um, essentially, I retired and went to work uh, for an outfit called Soldier of Fortune magazine, which was in uh, Boulder, Colorado, at the time. Um, the nominal job was to be uh, a field reporter on various hotspots around the world. Um, it turned out to be a lot more than that. Um, I mainly spent I spent most of my time uh, sort of training anti-Sandinista uh, uh, forces in uh, Honduras and, and Costa Rica and uh, El Salvador. So um, the Iran-Contra thing blew up. And uh, Have that, you been to Ollie's Point? Do you know where Ollie's Point is? Yeah, sure, yeah. That's right, one of the yeah. best waves in all of Central America, and that wave became famous because that's where Ollie North gave an interview and some guys were watching this interview and noticed this gnarly-ass right-hand point break. And they were like, where the fuck is that? <laughs> and it is, honestly, it is one of the most, one or two famous waves in all of Central really? America. Wow. It's beautiful, yeah. Uh, but uh, to return uh, to, I think, what you want me to talk about. Um, the, so when, when it blew up, I lost that job. I essentially, uh, there wasn't anything more I could do down there. Uh, so uh, I grabbed the first Haka flight I could get out of Chagusca, um, um, Honduras, and uh, ended up in uh, Houston, Texas. And uh, at that point, I really had to do some soul searching. Um, you know, what what can I bring to the table? What the hell is my deal? You know, um, 
most of my life, you know, I'd spent killing people and breaking shit. I mean, you know, <laughs> a what great I, way to spend a life. Yes, too. it is. It yeah, is. It's, it's enjoyable. But I really, I, I tried to to suss it out. Um, what can I bring to the table? Um, you know, I'd been shot too many times to want to be a cop. I'm on the main streets today, and <laughs> and I knew that if I became a cubicle rat or a defense contractor, I'd end up on a bar stool or kill myself within six months. I just I'm not built that way. I can't do that. Right. And so um, I did I did what good Marines do. I went down to the local Seven Eleven, and I bought a big yellow legal pad. Because that's what we're taught to deal with in, right. the, in the service. And I bought a box of crayons. <laughs> in mer- total marine fashion. Total course. marine fashion. I got, I got the primary colors because I don't deal with shades and weird shit like that. And, <laughs> and I bought. <laughs> Will you be my father? Yeah. <laughs> I don't have a dad. I could use one. <laughs> Apparently. Um, <laughs> but, and, and then the, the, the important part of all of this was I bought a case of beer. And I went back to the hotel room, and I sat down, and I took the— We're in Houston right now, right? Yeah, Houston. Okay, got right. it. I took the, the big blue crayon, because it looked nice with the yellow paper, and I drew a line down the middle of that, of that legal pad. And on one side, I wrote assets, and on the other side, I wrote liabilities. And I was going to try to chart it out, what I could really bring to the table in, in civilian life. And then I started drinking beer. Uh, about dawn, I took a look at this thing. And I had like 16 pages of liabilities. You know, why I suck, why, <laughs> why I can't do anything that anybody's gonna pay me anything for. And I had about three lines of assets. And the common denominator seemed to be that I'd always been a movie buff. And when I got to thinking about it, well, what can I do with that? And the more I thought about it, I said, you know what, what the deal is, that most military movies I've seen just piss me off. Right. They, not only are the details wrong, uh, and, and apparently nobody really cares a whole lot about that, but, but how they portray us. Right, like an accurate representation of the culture. Yeah, and how we, how we relate to each other. They, they, exactly right, uh, Matt, an accurate depiction of the culture. And I said, well, why is that? You know, I see, if you look at the credits on movies and television shows, you'll see these things that say, you know, uh, Major J.R. Rudy Fratz, who, yeah. military advisor. Cur- Colonel whoever the fuck. There's a lot of yeah, them on there. Whoever and, that guy right. is, you know. Is. And so I said, well, how can, they, how can this be? How can they get it that wrong if they've got this guy there? So I had, I had one $2,500 limit credit card. And I said, well, piss on it. I'm going to L.A. Because that's where they make movies. I'm going to find out. I'm going to talk to some people. You know, I can talk to people. I get along with people. I'll, I'll find out what the hell the deal is. So I went out and I started. <laughs> you can do a lot of things uh, when you're ignorant that people tell you you can't do. And I was certainly ignorant about how movies are made. So, you know, I'd go on to, I'd go on to movie lots, you know, Universal or, or MGM. And, and I'd see the first guy wearing a tie and carrying a briefcase. And I'd say, hey, you ass eyes, halt in place. You make movies, you're screwed up. Here's why. And of course, I'd get arrested and thrown off the lot. <laughs> but uh, the neat, neat thing well, was... Well, real quick, and, and you know he's a personal friend of yours. How did Spielberg first start? Yeah. He broke into one of the lots to use the phone from yeah. one of the rental spaces because if people knew that phone number, they knew that he was on the lots. And that's how he got his first movie made. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
So yeah, now I wasn't that smart. I didn't know that. I was just trying to find out what the hell was going on with this technical advisor thing. Right. And um, the the fortunate part was most of the security guys were former military, so they just escorted me off the lot. They didn't call the police, and you know. But but I I started to meet people who worked peripherally in in the the industry, and I started to say, look, how can they get it this screwed up? And it was a combination of two things. By the time I had talked to 15 or 20 people who actually worked in the business, it, was, it seemed to be a combination of two things. The first thing was that they, they hired a technical advisor, doing air quotes here, um, because they wanted what credibility they, they thought that might lend them. But he was under no, he was somebody's brother-in-law that they hired right. for, you know, who had done six months in the California National Guard. And they hired him, paid him a couple of hundred dollars a week, put him in a chair and let him sleep until they wanted to know which side the ribbons went on. You know, and then, well, no wonder it was so shallow. And then I said, well, why is it so shallow? Because what we do and the life we live and who we are is really fascinating, especially if you don't come from that world. And that's drama. You know, that's, that's something that interests people. And I knew that inherently. Um, and, and so the other thing I found out, and this is what really, this is what tripped my trigger. I discovered that in those days, and now we're talking mid-80s, early 90s, it was the, the time of the auteur in Hollywood. I don't know how to spell it, but you know what it means. Uh, it means everything, it, this is when you started seeing credits on screen a film by or a Joe Smith film. These guys wanted full and complete control. These young Turks coming out of film school and, and they were getting that sort of break. And what they brought with them was a hubris. And that word means conceit. They felt that anybody who wore a military uniform couldn't conceivably have a creative bone in his or her body. Couldn't be, or they wouldn't have gone into the service right, where all the trash in. goes, right. you know. And, and that really pissed me off. I mean, that jacked my jaws. I said, wait a minute. That is not only dissing the guys that I know and really love and really respect, but it's ignorant. Super ignorant. It's ignorant to think that just because we're shooters or, or just because we served in uniform for whatever reason, that we can't possibly have any creative uh, talent, that we can't understand drama. Hell, we live drama. It's also interesting that you say that because I, I don't think that's gone away. I, if anything, I think it's getting worse in today's climate is, you know, the, the what's coming out of universities now is it's even worse. Yeah, like, I think it was probably the worst after Vietnam, for sure. No, God, you know, it was terrible. It was yeah. absolutely yeah. terrible for those guys. And then I think some of that ignorance is absolutely happening because Hollywood is perpetuating that fallacy yeah. of what our culture is. But here's, here's what's happening, Matt. And, and your point is well made. There is an element of it, and it's still out there, and I fight it every day. I, I know what this is. There is a tendency to feel the groundswell. Look, Hollywood is the world's biggest follower, not the leader. They don't set trends. They spot them and try to chase yeah, them. Right. And what happens is that you've got a nation out there. You guys have been at war 16 years. And so you've got a nation out there as a knee-jerk against what happened to us in Vietnam. You've got a nation out there that's, thank you for your service. I mean, how many times have you heard it? Right. You hear it constantly. You see it on billboards and so on and so forth. Hollywood notices that. And so they'll make a, a wink and a nod at it. 
say, yes, absolutely, we support the service. And then they make trash films about it. Right. And, and you guys all turn out to be psychopaths. Listen, you're getting it as bad as we did in Vietnam. We were the ticking time bombs. Another nice yawn, turd. We were the. That was a sneeze, was it? <laughs> well, nice sneeze, turd. But, but when when we came home, we got that you know ticking time bomb. Oh, geez, don't touch that guy. He'll go off in a minute, and he'll kill children, and so on and so forth. You're beginning to get it. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of stigma associated with the post 9/11 veteran. Absolutely, I don't think. But I it's mean, subliminal. Matt. It's subliminal. It's not, not as overt as yeah, like in the yeah, 70s, where right. it's like that's a difference. Fuck yeah. you and spitting on the troops. Now it's more just like thank you for your service. I hope I hope you're not too <laughs> too addicted <laughs> I hope to you pills don't kill with, my, your, with that PTSD. Kill my child. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. Also, too, but do you attribute that to the spread of information back then? Like you, a public that just doesn't know why we're doing this. And, and and back in a draft in a draft age, there's too many un- uneducated people about the situation that's just saying, "Why do I have to go fight this fight?" Well, if you just yeah, now, it's easier to spread information and educate. Yeah, it's a 24-hour news cycle now versus yeah. back then. You know, you'd have the yeah. nightly news, yeah. and then it was over until the next morning. Yeah, that's that's exactly correct. And how I mean, was the news ran back then? I mean, wasn't Ted, didn't Ted Turner own it? <laughs> I don't know if he owned the news, but he owned a chunk of it. A I'll big say that. piece yeah. of it. And <laughs> uh, yeah, you're, you're, those points are all well made. Yeah. Uh, look, we, we live in a, uh, in a media-saturated society today. And I understood that when I was starting out. Watch this segue. It's, it's flawless, seamless. I'm, I'm ready for it. I, I understood that back when I was beginning, back in the time that you asked me about to begin with. I understood that we were in media-saturated society. Look, here's the reality. And, and it's especially true now uh, with the advent of, of social media and, and constant 24-hour nose stuck in your phone. What happens is we, as a people, know what things look like, even if we don't care, even if it's not something we're interested in. I know what a plate carrier looks like for guys in Afghanistan or Iraq. I know what the new helmet looks like. I'm interested. Three or four people on the street may not be interested, but they know. And if I show them something that's different than that on television or on screen, it's a disconnect. It's what's called a cognitive disconnect. Right. And they have it. And what happens is it takes them right out of the story. Yeah. So I knew that. I knew that inherently. And I said, aha, here's how I do it. I reconnect cognitively by making all of the details correct. And more importantly, I go in depth. I go after not only the body. I mean, I can, I can correct your body. You know, I can teach you how to go high ready, low ready with a weapon and how to wear your gear and so on and so forth. But that's not really the problem. I can teach anybody to do that in a couple of days. It's all muscle memory. The real problem was how we talk, how we act, how we relate to each other and and what is inside our minds and our hearts and our guts in terms of emotions. That's what Hollywood was missing. Or if it was, if it was trying to explore it, it was exploring it from a situation in which they had no damn idea right. where, what the hell where was they, going on. They think everybody used to just talk in, oh, oh, 900 hours. Right. Yes, yeah, sir. Right. Yeah, not Because right. yeah. I went back, you know, Dale was explaining this yesterday. I went back and watched Platoon last night, specifically looking at, the dialogue and the way that they were talking beca- mm-hmm. after you had told us about uh, you know your focus on those actors for that 
and it was spot on. Yeah. Like they 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 got it. They were us. Yes. Yeah, they they got it. And and I the realized that, yeah, that yeah, was the biggest yeah. thing was the banter. But but what was happening was that I had this theory and I knew I was right. It just it's one of those times when inherently in your gut you know you're right about this. But the frustrating part is I couldn't get anybody to listen to me. Even those who would give me two minutes to go through the drill with them would say, look, kid, we've made movies, war movies, military movies for decades, and we've made 60 zillion dollars. We don't need your crap. Audiences don't want that crap. And, of course, it, yeah. my, my argument was, yes, they do. They may not know they want it, but if we present it to them, we've got huge drama. We've got great stuff. We've got stuff that's unlike anything that you've seen. And it took all the way up through Platoon for me to prove that. And when I did, that was the end of it. I mean, nothing succeeds like success. And probably. how did you how did you get selected for Platoon? Like, it was, what it, was that sell? Well, all right, I'll see if I can tell you without embarrassing anybody. I, uh, I, had, I had quickly learned, by just by hanging around and talking to people, how movies are made, what the hierarchy is, what the pecking order is. And I know, you know, the writer direct the director is up here. Um, there's a producer, and there's department heads, and so on and so forth. But the guy who gets no respect, the guy or the gal that gets no respect, that the person who's you know lower than white whale shit in the bottom of deep blue sea is the writer. That poor bastard, you know, sits in the basement and pounds on a typewriter in his underwear and produces this great 120-page script. They buy it from him and say, get out of the area. I don't ever want to hear from you again right. with yeah. this auteur stuff. And I said, there's a, there's a vulnerability there. There's a chink in the Hollywood armor. So I started to hang out with writers, and they're all desperate. You know, they all want to be, they all want to do the next great movie, and they want to be the guy who's constantly hired to write everything or be the script doctor. And, and I found a guy... Uh, who had uh, been working on another project, not Platoon, but on another project with Oliver Stone. And uh, I uh, took him to one of these Hollywood shishi fern bar joints down on Sunset Boulevard, and I got him there by convincing, convincing him that I was rich and was going to be a producer <laughs> and was going to make the next great movie that he was going to write. So he came down there and... and uh, it's one of these bars where you go to be seen rather than do anything else. And, yeah. and I, I worked with him for a couple hours, lots of beer. And, uh, and I got him to write down Oliver Stone's home phone number on a matchbook. Still have it. And, uh, <laughs> That's awesome. Holy cow. And I mean, that, I'm sure he's changed his number since. Oh, but. yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, plenty of times. But that was on a, uh, on a Saturday night. Sunday morning, I said, all right, you got to take your shot. Load, lock, shoulder the weapon, get a good sight picture downrange, squeeze the trigger. So I called him. And just because he was Oliver, just because he, was, he liked a left-handed approach to anything, an, an extraordinary, out-of-the-ordinary approach, he talked to me for a few minutes. And I went into my best three-minute drill. You know, I said, look, here's what I think is wrong with military movies. I read in the trade papers you're going to make one based on your own experience as a combat infantryman in Vietnam. Here's how I think we can do it and make it really rock and roll. That, the result of that, um, which was really a gamble, I mean, I was shooting craps. He could have just hung up on me and said, I never want to hear from you again, and the police will be at your door in 15 minutes, but uh, he didn't. 
And so that led to a, a meeting with his producer. Um, and I explained what I wanted to do, what I thought was necessary to do, full immersion. Take these guys into the jungles of the Philippines, up in the mountains, no civilians, no phones, no niceties whatsoever. They live out of their ruck. They dig their own hole. They only eat twice a day. If they don't piss me off, then they only eat once a day. <laughs> and, and I'm going to train them to be us when we were 19 in the jungles. And I was allowed to do that mainly because Oliver couldn't see any other way. We only had $5 million in this thing. And, and you know, the, he had given me guys like Forrest Whitaker and Tom Berenger and Willem Dafoe and, and Johnny Depp, and before those guys were names. And, and I, I used it as a test bed. I knew that I had the right ideas. I just was a little bit unclear how to make them happen. And I learned in that three weeks I had them up in the jungle how to do this how to get at their hearts and how to get at their minds and how to get at their guts. And once I did that and saw it succeed, I said, okay, I know how to do this. There, there will be the Captain Die pattern, the Captain Stanislavski. You know, I'll teach you how to do this. And since then, I guess we've trained about 800 actors of, of various uh, ilks. And the, the neat and rewarding thing is I always hear from them. They call me up and they say, you know, you changed my life. Really? Yeah. Do you think and, they kind of resonated with that experience and oh kind yeah. of opened up oh yeah. a, a different form of thinking a little bit? Sure it does, Matt. Um, look, here's, here's the truth of the matter. A young actor in Hollywood grows up, comes out of film school, um, gets an agent, starts going to auditions, and his whole focus in life is on himself or herself. Right. It's all about me. They are the product that they are selling. It's me, 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 me. Well, that's the antithesis exactly of how we think it's not about me it's about the unit and it's about the mission mission first then survival of the unit and everything else is fine if it happens to happen so it's the antithesis of the way they think but if you have them captured and they can't lie to you because what are they going to do they're going to walk away in the middle of the jungle up in the mountains, right. and, you know, and there's no cell phone and there's no, you know, See you later. So all they, all they, you know, they just want to know how do I not piss off that white haired guy? You know, that's so eventually you've got them and, and it opens their mind. They see that there is something larger and bigger than themselves. And what that means to an actor is that when he becomes a member of an ensemble cast on a movie or a television show, he's now looking at mission. And he's looking at the good of the unit, not just how many lines do I have and how cool do I look and how's my hair. Right. So when you open them up to that perspective, it's a whole new thing. Have you ever, sorry to get a little sidetrack here, but have you ever seen Tropic Thunder? I did it. It's, yeah, have you? Yeah. You did it? Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. God. No, my my it, company did it. I did it. I it's, thought that was absolutely brilliant, which makes it sense. Amazing. Because it was, it was, it was, the greatest it's ever. so in line and it's almost like <laughs> what you're talking about the 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 pre-era of before sure. you came around yeah. kind of revolutionized what it was to be a tech yeah. advisor for the military stiller, stiller called me and and said look I wanna, i'm sorry that i didn't know that yeah holy crap yeah i had to send my i sent my executive officer over to do it in in hawaii but stiller uh, called me down and he said you know you may recognize a few characters here and i said yeah i do and uh, and i'm glad nolte's playing me but at any rate yeah. um, <laughs> but i i loved it you know i i have a great sense of humor about this and that's one of the things I really like about working with you guys and in a day or two that I've been here is you know what's serious, but you know how not to you know how not to be a pain in the ass about it. 
you, do, you know how to have a sense of humor about it. And that's important, especially to us, because we deal with some very unhumorous shit. And of all the guys that you've trained, yeah. you personally have been involved with their training. Yeah. Who are some of the toughest, hardest guys that you've dealt with? That, like surprising, I, like you know, like you, this guy had no problem in the in the jungle for three weeks, et cetera, et cetera. So I guess you're asking who who were the ones who took to it best? Yes, sir. Okay. Um, uh, Tom Berenger was excellent. Um, um, Tom Cruise was excellent. Um, uh, Tommy Lee Jones, uh, although if the world ever needs a model for a curmudgeon there you go with tommy lee jones but <laughs> but he's pretty good i was um, it, the the johnny depp thing i mean he was the interpreter like that's a hard thing to learn oh, because yeah. he was speaking vietnamese yeah i had to like, teach him oh, yeah, God. Right, right. <laughs> um so there there have been a number of good ones um there, there have been more good ones than there have been bad ones. Um, look, they, my, my deal is I've got, to, I've got to put them in an environment where it is no longer a job. It's not just an acting gig I've got. They, they have to live that world. And when they do, you'd be surprised at the strength um, if they're and, serious about their career, they should want to. Though. Yeah, and, yeah, like and, which, and that's the, the good thing. ones do. Like, that, which presents a pretty interesting question. Yeah, do, do you think that it's easier to teach a civilian actor to play a combat veteran or to teach a combat veteran to be an actor? Uh, the former. The problem with you guys is I have to untrain you. You've got so much muscle memory. That I'll put you in a World War II movie, hand you an M1, and you go immediately to high ready carry. You know what? We didn't do that crap in the 1940s. We didn't know anything about that. Hell, we carried him like squirrel hunters. Right. You know, so it's it's easier to teach an actor because he's a blank slate. The only problem, or the the method there, is I'm a big PT believer. Um, I will PT their ass off, and the reason I'm doing it is a couple of reasons the running part and the chanting uh, the singing cadence really they hear the power of the unit they hear the foot strikes all in step i try to get them in through a tunnel or something so they can hear it is you you then feel the power you can literally feel the power of that in your chest you've all done it in airborne school and and other things you feel that power the power of the group the power of the unit not just of the individual uh, and so I, I do a lot of that uh, I do team building exercises, atomic sit-ups and, and uh, caterpillar push-ups and things like that so that they see how to combine the strength of one with the strength of many and, and get these kind of things done. And most importantly, it wears their ass out to the point where they can't resist me. <laughs> All they want is, okay, fine, yeah. what, what do I have to do to get you off <laughs> yes. my ass? You know? <laughs> and that works. It works just fine. And guess what? It worked with you. It worked with you. It worked with all of us. And that's the magic. The magic of what made us young soldiers, young Marines, young sailors, young airmen, in that 8, 10, 12-week experience, whatever it was, works with the actors. The problem is I've, I've got to compress it. I don't have 8 or 10 weeks. I sometimes have 5 days. So I have to wear your ass out. I've got to get it done, and I've got to go right for the targets, which is your heart, your mind, and your guts. So I've got one uh, rolling back to Platoon. 
after the movie came out, was there a, a point with Oliver that was like, you know, you you cold called him, trying to get involved, and then bam, this masterpiece is made. When was it? Did he finally look at you and go, "Oh, you did it"? <laughs> he, it, Oliver. It happened at the Academy Awards. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I really didn't expect that. I was embarrassed by it. Um, when he won uh, Best Picture, and he went up, and he'd won Best Director also that year, uh, 86 it was, I think. Um, he got up there on the stage, and I was in the cheap seats in the back of the auditorium. <laughs> you know, the nosebleeds, huh? Yeah, but I had my blues on, so all the cameras were looking at me. And uh, and he got up there and said... I want to. I want to especially thank Captain Dale Dye for the work he did with the actors. We could not have won this without him. That's all. You, I mean, that's your Academy Award right there. I walked away with it. You know. And, uh, <laughs> Good thing he picked up that phone call Sunday morning. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but that. But the interesting thing is, I, I kind of became Oliver's touchstone for a long time. I, I think I've done five movies with him now. Yeah, did uh, the phone start ringing after that day? Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> what was the, I mean, it was the boom, immediate boom, boom, next boom, picture boom, that boom. you got after, uh, after those I think it was um, uh, Casualties of War, Sean Penn and Michael Fox and, and so on and so forth. But, but we started, I had to expand my company and bring my executive officer in. He's, I've, he's been with me for 40 years. Uh, he and I were young sergeants together in Vietnam, so uh-huh. he knows the die method. I brought him in, but then I had to start recruiting and training young NCOs um, to work with me because we were, we were just getting so much work. I mean, I was doing like three movies a year. Which, didn't you actually structure your company kind of like a military unit? I did, yeah. I structured, and that was, the IRS was It very, cost you a visit from the <laughs> They were very interested in that, yeah. I organized my company like a rifle company, and, I, and frankly, I just did it to be contrary. I just did it to piss some people off. And so when we started filing corporate tax returns, uh, my company is called Warriors Incorporated. It's a federal uh, type C corporation. And um, when I started filing those returns, I told the lawyers, I said, look, I don't, where it says CEO, put in commanding officer. <laughs> where it says CFO, put in adjutant. And then list the guys as uh, platoon sergeants and, and so on and so forth. And they did. So I, I thought it was funny, and, you know, I had a Xerox copy of it, and I showed it to people. I was real proud of it. About, about six months later, when we had really started, I mean, we were making money. I mean, we were, we were, our price was going up, and we were working on bigger shows and so on and so forth. Um, what happened was I got a visit from – I got a call first, and then I got a visit from the IRS. And the guy opens his briefcase – and he says, about this, you know, and I said, well, it's just, what's the difference? You know, CEOs is the commanding officer. The fortunate thing was he was, a, he was an Army National Guard guy. <laughs> so he got it. And he said, okay. That uh, totally makes it. sense. Yeah, right. It was, it was pretty cool. But one, one of, the, one of the, the interesting things was, in, and I think this goes to the business end of what we're talking about. Um, I quickly realized that um, – War movies and military programs and so on and so forth, they, they go in a sort of a sine curve. There'll be two or three over a three-year period, and then there won't be any for five years. And then there'll be something else. So in order to make money and pay the bills and, and keep people at work, I had to expand what we do. 
And I began to look around and said, is there anything else that would fit in with the agenda? And remember, the agenda was simply to shine some long overdue and well-deserved light on the men and women who wear our uniform. Um, so we started looking around, and we got into video games. Uh, Spielberg, at that time, had a, uh, had a, uh, a subsidiary of his company, Amblin, um, and DreamWorks that was called DreamWorks Interactive, and they were, what they did was video games. And shortly after, um, I guess it was Saving Private Ryan, he called me and said, uh, look, he's a gamer. He likes to play video games. And, and he said, I'm, I'm playing this military game here, and it, it sucks. Yeah. And I said, yeah, well, fine. I don't, I don't play those things. So I, I said, okay, fine, now what? And he said, we're going to fix this. If we can do it with a movie, we can do it with a video game. And bigger than hell, when we got home, uh, I got a call from one of his producers. He said, Stephen says you should come down here. And uh, lo and behold, we started the Medal of Honor uh, series. So we did all of the advising, and I took the, the, these geeky engineers and nerds. Yeah. I took them out and let them fire live weapons, and they were, you know, their world was made. Which is I don't think a lot of people know how much tech advising goes on, goes on in the gaming world with like Call of Duty series, Battlefield. Like they literally have tech advisors that put the sensors all over the people's body yeah. and are teaching them how to move. It's and called actually, mocap. Yeah, and motion capture. Yeah. yeah, a bunch of seals got in trouble for that. Yeah, there were some uh, tier one guys that got in trouble for kind of doing some TTPs and SOPs that were kind sure. of. Uh, yeah, a little more clandestine. So, but I, I got a question I'll, for you. So let me let me just finish yeah, uh, with that thought. Yeah, um, absolutely. And then, and then we'll get right but, to your question. The, so we we started video games, and then we started themed entertainment. We found out that there were these theme parks that did various things. For instance, uh, the Las Vegas Hilton was doing a Star Trek: The Adventure ride uh, as part of the Las Vegas. Uh, thing and and it was they wanted somebody to come up and teach all of their actors how to be starship navy space navy folks that was a big job uh, we did the navy pier we we did um t23 day uh, 3d in osaka japan and hollywood and in florida so and then um we we got a call believe it or not from music video producers <laughs> And and I ended we ended up doing uh, the music video for uh, Tomorrow Never Comes I think with Green Day yeah and we did uh, Rooster Alice in Chains uh, so we were out there doing music videos which which on the business side is so intriguing because you s essentially took the same core competency exactly. and found all these different exactly. verticals to expand on exactly. which essentially are the same thing but different networks and social medians or in, in entertainment then and that's fantastic sit precisely Matt and then finally I decided well the hell with that I'm getting right around to it. Uh, I, I opened a publishing company I became a publisher, and now it's Warriors Publishing Group. And Vertically really, integrated, this guy. Boom. Yeah. And it, but the, the problem is, it, I would love to sit here and take credit for that, but I, ver vertically integrated doesn't mean anything to me. <laughs> I mean, I, what the hell is that? But I, I inherently got it and saw it and made it happen. I think that's a lot. Some of that is what you guys are doing. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm So you, Platoon came, great success. And you know we've heard a lot about the cool, successful things that you've done, mm. and surely <laughs> there have been some some piles of dog poop you've stepped in along the way. Been and some a lot dogs. of the people, I think, for me personally, I talk about it all the time. Is a lot of people try to emulate others' success or success of companies. Mm. And I think for me personally, it's I try to fi find where people have made mistakes mm. and make sure not to make those same mistakes. So, like looking back now on your career, which sounds like it's been 
fucking awesome. Excuse my French, but what are some of the errors you made now, looking back? Um, it's, it's easy to get too full of yourself, um, especially when you succeed very well. Um, you can... You can let your ego get in the way. I have these high cheekbones every day, Dale, when I look in the mirror. You know what I'm saying? I can't turn them off. I get it, man. (laughs) The icy blue gaze. Yeah, I get it. it. Um, So um, you can get full of yourself. Uh, And I did that for a while. And I I really had to back off from that. I had to get up every morning and, you know, remind myself of, you know, the the words to the Gatlin song uh, that that I always always try to remember that... um, you know, says, trying to be a hero and winding up a zero will scar a man deeply right down to his soul. And uh, what's what's the rest of Oh, yeah, living in the spotlight will kill a man outright because everything that glitters isn't gold. And and I try to remember those things. So, so one of my big mistakes was uh, getting too full of myself. Um, <clears throat> the other was I became a little paranoid. After the after the success, and it really goes to exactly what you were talking about, uh, people started to try to imitate me, and they started, you know, first force, and all kinds of things going on, and, and it was usually some guy, you know, who'd either done four or five years, or he'd he'd retired after a career, um, and he wanted to do what I was doing, um, and I got very paranoid about it, you know, I, oh, I can't talk to that guy, and you know. And that just was making my life miserable. I mean, there's room out there for anybody. And and what the hell, you know, you can't monopolize something like this. And why would I? As long as his agenda is the same as mine, as long as it's good for us as a military community, as a, as a community of veterans, fine. Go for it. Good luck to you. So that was another thing. I, I, had, to, I had to stop thinking of myself as an exclusive product. And so it sounds like that was a distraction to you, it focusing was, on what other yeah. people were doing? Yeah, it was, yeah. I, I wasn't focusing on what we needed to be doing. Right. I was focusing on somebody running up my backside. You know, so That I, was a mistake. I want to roll to a, a more a different, a positive light question. Okay. Like, you being a movie buff, when you were first pitched Band of Brothers, were you just excited as shit like finally you know 100 plus million dollars going into a production that's going to be 10 episodes it's going to be a period that you've studied your whole life like come on that phone call had to have been like finally i was (laughs) i was i was with my wife Uh, she was just my girl at that time down on ventura boulevard in the san fernando valley uh, buying a suitcase a little roll roller board i can't even remember carry why. on or was it carry no it's carry okay on. i just yeah. really want to get that but I, and i can't remember why the hell i was buying it but, but, but there i was and my cell phone at that time i had one of these flip phones it it goes off and i'm i'm standing and this guy's trying to show me the attributes of various suitcases and i answer the phone and it's spielberg so, you know, I, my, my face falls and I go white and I assume the position of attention. And, and he says, listen, uh, when can you come see me? Um, actually, he wanted me to come see him at Tom Hanks's uh, offices in Playtown in, in Santa Monica. He said, can you, can you get down there? I, we, we got this thing we want to talk to you about. I had no idea what it was. Um, and then I got down to, uh, to Tom Tom uh, Hanks's place, the the Playtone offices, and Stephen was in there, and a couple of the producers were in there, and and uh, they said, well, here's what we're going to do: we're going to do a miniseries uh, for television. And I said, well, okay, what? 
and they said it's based on Stephen Ambrose's book, uh, Band of Brothers. And uh, I said, "Oh shit, I've <laughs> I've read that. You know, I have it next on my nightstand." You know, <laughs> so yeah. And then you know, I was doing jumping did jacks. They, did they originally <laughs> want to cast you, or was it more of a tech advisory no, no, no. position, they, and then kind of came the, into the casting? The casting came later. Okay. Uh, they they wanted me to design a training. Uh, syllabus uh, training schedule for what what the guys were going to need to get back into 1944 mindset and go through ground school at Bryce Norton uh, number one parachute school in in Britain um, and train at Longmore camp and and so I, I immediately had to go and start writing the training schedule I had to and, and I knew I had to train a unit of Germans so I had to do all of that research and and train them um, I guess I never thought about that yeah huh and 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 through through that process, which was a couple of weeks, um, Stephen kept calling me, and Hanks would call me, and the writers would call me, and and what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And and uh, I I said something, and I can't. I think it was to Tom Hanks. I said, you know, the guy who's really kind of the hero here, but he gets short shrift, um, is uh, Colonel Bob Sink. Bourbon Bob Sink, you know, one who was an airborne legend in the, in the army, later was retired as Major General uh, Robert Sink, and I said, uh, you know, he's really an interesting character, and I think Hank said, yeah, and you should probably play him. <laughs> I said, whoa, you know, so I, <laughs> you know, you don't you don't want to immediately spring up and down and scream and yell, but but that and then the offer came in. And, and they actually, they were formal about it. They went to my agents and said, look, we'd, we'd really like him to kind of do this. And, and, uh, and so I, I got into research then. Uh, General Sink was dead at that point, but his family was still available. I, and I got to know his daughter, uh, Robin McClellan Sink. And, uh, and they sent me um, copies of General Sink's um, speeches. Oh, no so way. I could, so I could listen to him and get that North Carolina drawl. <laughs> So that I could play the character the way he normally talked, you know, and and so I knew I had it, you know, because I'm a little mimic and I, I hear that stuff and and I could do those voices, uh, and and I love to play real people, I mean because I can study them and I can I can try to bring them alive. It was the same with Leonard Wood in in Rough Riders, you know, love to bring him alive because he's a kind of, you know, Fort Leonard Wood, yeah, in right. Missouri, Little Korea, yep, that's him, yeah, you know, that's his deal. So Did you have to teach David Schwimmer to be an asshole? He wasn't. It surprised me. Schwimmer is one of the ones you were asking about that you know has got the heart. That's what I mean. Like he like got you, hurt. You, did you have to shift him to be a dick? <laughs> no, he could he be. He's, he's pretty good at being a dick. There <laughs> <laughs> wasn't a lot of research went into that. But, um, the thing about a it was natural asshole. The, yeah. the week two days before we were. Uh, scheduled to go to Bryce Norton, which is the British number one parachute school, and I had complete uh, run of the place. They would let me do the swing landers. The only thing they wouldn't let me do is a 250-foot tower. I could get them off the 60-foot uh, retractor and mm -hmm. so on and so forth, but I couldn't. The the lawyers and the bonders and the insurance guys, no way they're going yeah, out to no way an airplane. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I could get as close as, as I could. And two days before we were set to go to Bryce Norton, and they were going to get their wings and so on and so forth, uh, Schwimmer gets hurt, jerked the hell out of a knee doing PT, and he'd barely walk. And so I sent him to the rear, and I just evacuated him. I said, you know, go 
get your, you know, I don't want to cripple you. We need you in this. So go get your knee worked on. I expected we would, that would be the end of him. I'd never see him again. He'd been in, he'd been in about a week and a half. So he was doing fine. But I, I never expected to see him come back. The day we were due to go to Bryce Norton, vehicle drives up, Schwimmer gets out limping. And he said, Captain, I'm going to jump school. I said, all right, asshole, get in a bus. You know, and Keep your feet and knees together. The rest will sort itself yeah, out. It, it'll all work fine. It'll all work fine. <laughs> but so I, he had guts. He absolutely did not want to miss jump school. And, uh, and he came back. That is cool. Yeah. So how would, you, would, would all this kind of pull together of what you're trying to do now with uh, the Indiegogo campaign, if you want to tell the listeners about yep. that a little sure. bit? Sure, yeah. yeah. Um, it, it really does. Uh, you know, I have learned filmmaking from absolutely the best. And, you know, if we want to name drop it, Spielberg, Hanks, um, um, and... Um, all there's so many of them. Those, those and, are pretty you know. good. Yeah. <laughs> we could just stop there. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> and and I mean, I learned, and they were kind enough to teach me how film is made. And and over the years, I've learned what drama is. I've written scripts, and and I know what it's like. So at at one point, I decided about four years ago, I decided, you know what, it's my turn. It's time for me. I know how to make really rock and roll war pictures. I know how to train the actors. I know how to stage this. I know how to shoot this. Well, I, I worked on it for about four years, and it just no luck. I was trying to do it in the standard studio fashion, but the, the sticking point was I want to direct. No, uh, no, you've only directed second unit and so on and so forth, so no, we're not going to trust you with $20, 25000000 million. So I, I, got to, I got upset with it. I mean, it just seemed like they didn't understand that I can do this. So I, I kind of said, well, look, I need reinforcements here. And reinforcements should come from the veteran community. This is going to be their story done by them for them. I need reinforcements. So I, I got up with um, Tom Costa, who's a former 82nd guy, uh, West Point graduate, uh, as one of the producers, drug a couple of Marines in it with me, and I said, look, I, what do we do? I, I want to put as many people that are real veterans in front of the camera and behind the camera as I can. My director of photography was a uh, second lieutenant platoon leader with the 4th Infantry Division in Vietnam, and he's a, he's a DP. He really knows what he's doing. So I want to I do that sort of thing. And I said, well, how do we do this? And finally, I can't remember who came up with the precise idea, but they said, look, let's crowdfund it. We're not going to get 20 to $25 million crowdfunding. Nobody gets that. Um, but we can get earnest money. We can get enough money so that the nation and the industry perceives we're real. We mean to do it's this. It's a proof of, proof of concept. Yeah. Yep, earnest money, proof of concept. And, and so that's what we're involved in with it, the Indiegogo campaign. And what's the name of the project that you're No in? Better Place to Die. Okay. It's a great D-Day World War II story. It's going to do for... Uh, the airborne facets of D-Day, June 6, 1944, what we did with Saving Private Ryan for the surface assault on uh, Omaha Beach. Your next stop needs to be Fort Bragg. You need to pitch this to Panther Brigade because those guys, why wouldn't they want to be involved? Well, in they, like they do, but and, and I may. You know, look, I, I want to get as many guys as I can, but look, I may have to shoot overseas. Um, I don't know how many of those guys I can get to take thirty days leave and and go with me. You know? Oh, I I just mean in the in the in the essence of 
telling them about the the campaign. Yeah, yeah. If I was in the Panthers, I'd want to see a movie made about my predecessors. Well, we're we're trying to do it, um, but it's a little difficult because it it appears to be a pitch for money that's being made to the active duty community, and the lawyers and the JAG officers just absolutely shit themselves. I mean, oh, you you can't solicit for you know a commercial right. enterprise and so on and so so it's difficult to do that, yeah. Matt. I mean, JT, that's yeah. it's just hard to do. I mean, the name of it alone makes me want to get my checkbook out. I mean, I'm being <coughs> completely serious. I'm I, can I lend you? I just mean, yeah. you, you, I'm donating to. Can it. I lend you, you a pen? Awesome. You know what? It is. It, if you walk into those brigades down there, like the big hallways are nothing but history sure. of what they've done. You it's bet. Like, yeah. It's so backwards, like with, with well, the Jag, like, yeah. like, yeah. They they would love a, they would love to have a movie about a story they probably all know about. Sure, but yeah. no, no, no. We can't we can't no, tell a, anybody a professionally about that. made. A yeah, professionally a made real film. movie. Yeah, yeah. with yeah. with right. with insane names attached to it. Like this is this is your chance. Yeah, yeah, and and I think, frankly, I think that that feeling, and that that kind of support through the th- stuff we're doing here. Uh, through the other podcast i think i'm scheduled to do something like 12 more podcasts and <laughs> and cbs wants to talk to me about the effort and so on and so forth so it's going to i think it's going to sort of filter into the active duty community i mean the email is just full of active duty but, e5s and specialists and staff sergeants and who say is, how do i how do i get in this, I get this and thing? this is right. one thing i i kind of get onto you guys sometimes is that vets constantly think that they need to go to the veteran community when in fact i can speak for the civilian community the civilian community would trip ass over tea kettle to help because it's one of those things like the things that you guys take for advantage like uh boot camp you guys you never talk about it but i always ask questions like hey because there's guys that never went to boot camp that would do anything in the world just to know like they just like civilians need vets the same way vets need civilians yeah. it's a symbiotic relationship it is indeed you know yeah. i think reach out to joe rogan get him on joe rogan's podcast i mean his his yeah. reach is huge you know within the civilian and the veteran community um and and i think that if you look at a lot of the films that are made uh telling the story about you know panther brigade and stuff like that i mean that's uh something that i think the civilian world would jump behind yeah. well we're, we're seeing a lot of it uh you'd you'd be surprised i i didn't realize my name and image held the cachet it does but um we're seeing people that have no relationship whatsoever to uh the military jumping in and saying you know here's my 20 bucks or here's my 50 bucks or whatever we uh, yeah, fifteen of those emails are me trying to get cast in the movie. <laughs> just so you know. Okay, no, but, so, uh, but, but Dale, so this is—I'm serious. Like civilians, guys like me. Yeah. Like I find uh, they want to attach themselves and connect with veterans because I find myself being a better version of who I am by being friends with these guys. Yeah. So like I was uh, hunting in Alaska two weeks ago, bear hunting on the side of a mountain, tired of shit, exhausted from hiking up this mountain, which uh, which was like that snowing raining sleeting and i'm cold and shaking and i was like man fuck man who can i complain to yeah (laughs) i can't call matt because i know for a fact that this he's in a heated nice couch (laughs) he's he's a washed up no No, but i was like so i know that if i call him and tell him he's going to be like oh yeah ranger school or my partner todd who was a seal um you know or or evan or, or jt or logan or any of these guys it's like so hmm 
this is actually nothing. I'm paying to be here. So I'm just going to keep this shit to myself. <laughs> yeah. And not, <laughs> Probably a good idea. And not yeah, tell right, anybody. Yeah. No, because then like I felt that one of the steps in the tree uh, broke and this happened. Which Oh, just, look at you. Ooh, oh, he's, he's whipping out a, a little gash. That's a, it, it was way worse when it happened. And I was like, well, I'll just did keep, you get stitches? I'll keep that one to myself, too, because I'm sure. Did that you get stitches? No. Doesn't matter then. Yeah. We killed a moose and got some uh, sinew and. Boom, like done. Perfect, yeah. But no, I guess the point of that long rant is um, civilians want to help and attach and learn from vets. And I think that vets want to attach and learn from civilians. And I think there needs That's to be true. a way to, to link the two well, together in a better there way. Is, there is, and, and we'll find a way to marry that up. Um, you know, we're, we're finding our feet right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm appealing to every audience I can find. Um, and and it I think I think through the process that I'm working in these podcasts and, and the TV appearances and various other things, what I'm finding is that more and more people representing, you know, completely disparate elements are coming out and saying, would you come talk to us? Uh, which I'll do. I mean, I'll, you know, until until they wear me out, I'll go talk about it because I think it's important to make this film. I, I want this film to be a showcase for the talent that is in the American veteran community. I, w- I want this to be their shot. They get to show what they've got. That's amazing. Yep. And that's, it's kind of cool to do that if, if, if the project sees completion and all that, to kind of sit back and say, you know, everybody maybe misjudged the veteran community. Like, look at this beautiful film that was I built so. on the backs of all these veterans. Yeah. And, yes. you know, it might open up a lot of eyes to. I, I hope to so, Matt. That's really what I'm after. Um, I want to make a great film that will entertain the shit out of you and and fill theaters and uh, i am super excited for that opening sequence that you're talking about yeah, it's because great. you know it's great i was yeah. i served with the 82nd airborne for a good portion of my life so i'm 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 stoked for it yeah. uh yeah so indiegogo.com no better place to die or you can search dale die uh d-y-e it'll uh, come right up come up yeah. and they're on uh, all their the social film, media platforms yep, all the social instagram media. facebook twitter no better place to die so yeah check so it out get over there get over there and help out yeah, we yeah. know. We know we got some rich friends that listen to this show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm looking you, to Dale. suck off some black coffee profits. Here. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you guys. You've been no, terrific. Thanks again. for the show. And hey. I, I got to, I got to say, uh, we've just heard all you guys from our podcast we did yesterday. The the guys here at Black Rifle just popped up my picture as having been here. And my wife called this morning and she said, "What the hell did you do?" And I said, what do you mean? She said, the, the mailbox is overflowing, and there's four more podcasts that want you. And that was you guys. Awesome. That was your audience. We're, yeah, so. Well, anything we can we, do to support. I mean, you're, yes. you probably hate the word, but I, I consider you a true American hero. And, uh, Thank you, Matt. And it's pretty noble and amazing to see that you, what you're doing after you got out of the military to inspire the up-and-coming generation. I can only hope for one day to be... Uh, in, in, in a successful position as you have. So you are an absolute inspiration you, you to us supported here, so thank us. You. you supported us in our endeavor. Yeah, and, you did and you not have what? to do range is, 15. You could have easily walked away. So thank you yes. so much. We, we are willing to go the extra mile to anybody that came out and helped us on that. So we're happy to do it. Hey, All for, right, for Black Hearted, Salt Lake City, Matt Best, Baker Lovett, Dale Dye, and JT. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.